Good morning, everybody. Good to see your beautiful, lovely faces today. I would like for all of you to take an example from these fine people sitting up front and center. (laughs) Everyone else likes to sit in the nosebleed section for some reason. I'm teasing you. I was a back-of-the-bus kid myself. That way they couldn't see me. (laughs) Well, we are uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 36. We're going to finish it today. Uh, But let's start with a word of prayer to make sure. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Father, and this is your book. Uh, Father, you directed holy men of old to write it, Father, and you've preserved it, and you've brought it down through the ages, and you've put it in our laps, Father, so that we might know your will for our lives, Father, not only for our lives, but for the lives of all who call in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who was promised all through the Scriptures. Father, and also the will that you have for the entire world and what's coming upon this planet, Father. And as we see those days approaching, Lord, and we see the fulfillment of prophecy, Father, and the darkness creeping in, we pray, Lord God, that you would allow us to not become overwhelmed or dismayed by what we see, Father, or that our love would ever grow cold, Lord, because of the wickedness of these days. But instead, Father, you would fan into the flames, Father, the faith that you've put within our hearts, Father, and you would bring to our recollection and our memory the upward calling of Jesus Christ that you've given to each one of us, Lord, and that we have a job to do, and that every single day it starts with singing your praises, with loving your word, with loving who you are, with having a relationship with you, Father, and then taking that experience out into the world wherever we go, Father, so that people might see in us some form of hope, some form of light, And the absolute truth, Father, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the book that you've given us to teach people, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, magnified, and exalted in the ministries that you give us and you use us in, Lord. And we pray that many souls would be brought into the kingdom, Lord, in these last days. Use us, we pray, Father. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our lives. Bolster our faith, Father. Root out inconsistencies. Root out sin. Root out strongholds in our lives, Father, and places that we've kept back from you, Father. And help us to be holy and completely committed to your cause and to the relationship, Father, that your son died that we could have. Father, help us to cling to that with all we've got, with all of our might, Father, and with all of our strength, and to love you the same, Lord. Bless our services today, Father, and bless this word, Father, as we read it to our understanding and write the truths of it on the tablets of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Numbers chapter 36, and we started last week talking about uh, the family of Gilead, which was within the tribe of Manasseh. Now, the tribe of Manasseh was already a half-tribe. It was called the half-tribe of Manasseh because Joseph, remember, with the technicolor dream coat, when he was in Egypt, he went in as a slave, and of course, God brought him through all of these experiences, most of which were horrible, Uh, And Joseph remained obedient to the Lord, and he remained faithful to the call of the Lord. And God exalted him to the right hand of Pharaoh for just a time as that. And he was going to use Joseph to save his entire family, and not only his entire family, but countless other families that would have died because of the great famine that was coming upon the world in those days. And God gave uh, Joseph the vision, and God gave Joseph the faith to be the savior, literally, of all of these people. And Joseph is for us, uh, without getting too far off, off, off topic here, he is for us a picture, an example. And in many ways, Moses is the same way. 
<clears throat> when you go through the Old Testament, remember, the Old Testament, you can encapsulate the entire thing within the phrase, Jesus is coming right? Jesus is coming. In every word of the Old Testament that we read, that should be echoing in our heads and echoing in our ears. And that's what was echoing in the ears and the minds of the prophets of old, even though they had no idea exactly what God was going to accomplish. That's the message that is always echoing and reverberating. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so we see pictures of Jesus Christ in the heroes of the Old Testament throughout its content. And Joseph is one of those great examples. You know, nobody was completely a perfect picture of Jesus Christ, right? Because he's Jesus Christ and nobody else ever would be. But there's pieces here. You know, Moses is willing to sacrifice himself for the people. Joseph's complete and, and, and total obedience to his earthly father and also to his heavenly father where he was unwilling to, to compromise. He was unwilling to sin or allow the circumstances that he was in to, to, to pull him off course from whatever God had planned for him, which he didn't even know. All of these things, and then he became the savior of, of, of multitudes of people as well. All these things are just little pictures or little echoes that Jesus is coming, and these people were, were small pictures of that. Now, while Joseph was in Egypt, uh, he married the daughter of one of the priests of Om, whatever that means, and he had two children. He had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So then later on, years and years later, hundreds of years later, after Joseph dies and after the Israelites multiply into a nation there in Egypt, and then after they're enslaved, and then after Moses comes in as the deliverer, and after they're delivered, okay, Mo Joseph is long dead, but the descendants of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, remain, and they become a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're half-tribes, Manasseh uh, and Ephraim. Now, as we talked about weeks back, before they come into the promised land, when they get to the, east, the western eastern side of the Jordan River, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, half of the half-tribe of Manasseh, want to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan River because they have flocks and the pastures there are green and they say, this is good enough place for us. And we've, we've, we've talked about that. We've touched on all of that. But the other half of the half-tribe of Manasseh, okay, which was the family of Gilead, the son of Manasseh. Are you still with me? <laughs> it's a lot. They went over the Jordan River. They went over the Jordan River. They wanted the promise of God, purely and unadulterated. And that is a wonderful example for us. And we're going to see God preserve them and God look after and take care of them here in chapter 36. And part of that is because, well, most of it is because he made a promise. And God's promises cannot be forfeit, right? They cannot be forfeit. One of the things that Satan is always continually trying to do is make the promises of God forfeit. That's why one of the reasons he has pursued so hard after the Jews down through the history of our planet since their inception, Satan has been after the Jewish people to eradicate them from the planet. Because if he can do that, well, first of all, he, if he could do that early on, he could have done away with Jesus being born. That was his biggest fear. Well, it's too late now for that. But if he can eradicate the Jewish people from the face of the earth, then all the promises that God made to these people that stand for all time, he could show God to be a promise breaker. He could show God to be a liar. What an idiot. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I, mean? I, I always, I remember I worked at, I worked at a, a little place called the Pit Stop in Polkville uh, when Nikki and I were going to Cortland State together and we were newly married and <laughs> was going to this place and I worked with this, this guy. He was kind of an off-the-wall wacko guy, but he was hilarious. You know what I mean? He's one of those people, as a Christian, you shouldn't be laughing at these people. You know what I'm saying? It's not funny, but it's so funny, right? You know, sorry, it is what it is, you know? And he was... <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stories. If you ask me in private, maybe I'll tell you. But there was a girl that worked there, and she was a Wiccan. And, and, and this guy was not a believer, okay? But he was a smart guy, okay? He was a smart guy. He was off the wall, but he was a smart guy. And this girl was a Wiccan, and she was into all of this stuff. And oh my goodness, he used to tease her mercilessly. You know, and he'd be like, hey, I worship the one who I know loses in the end. What a moron. You know what I mean? And he would say stuff like this. And I felt, I, felt, I felt bad for the girl. But at the same time, I would always chuckle a little bit because, well, he ain't wrong. You know what I mean? Uh, Satan, though, is the embodiment, the spiritual embodiment of all the things that beset us. Every part of your flesh that you hate that stinks in your spiritual nostrils. Satan is the embodiment of that. Uh, that original sin of pride, that original sin of wanting to make himself equal with God, that, that what he said or what he felt or what he thought was just as important as what God said and what God felt and what God thought, okay? And so he said, I'll exalt myself and I'll be equal with God. And remember, then he offered the same thing to Adam and Eve. He said, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because he knows then you'll be like him. You'll be like God knowing good from evil. And that was one of the parts of the great temptation that caused them to fall. And he hasn't changed his song at all. Satan is always seeking to make men, and by men I mean mankind, he is always seeking to make us put ourselves on equal footing with God, on equal level with God, as though my thoughts and my feelings and my beliefs are as important as what God has said. And I'm here to tell you today, it isn't, right? Our feelings, our thoughts, the things that we believe, we always have to use the plumb line of God's word to make sure that we're on the right course. Because our feelings, friends, and maybe you, many of you have experienced this in your life already, will take you to places you never thought you'd go and where you never wanted to be. God's word keeps us on course. It keeps us where we're supposed to be. So anyway, half of the half-tribe of Manasseh decides we want the promise of God. We want everything that he has to offer. And so they are ready to cross over the Jordan River uh, with, the, with the nation of Israel. And earlier... In the book of Numbers, we have this, this, uh, this account given where this family, and uh, Zelophehad is, is the guy's name, he has all daughters. Zelophehad has all daughters, and he passes away. Earlier, he passed away. And the question is, what is going to be done with the inheritance of Zelophehad? Because you got to remember, guys, in the culture in the time of that day, women had no rights whatsoever. And all the way going up through, you know, really the modern era, oh, the world over, usually women didn't have many rights. 
I mean, we didn't have women's suffrage and going after the right to vote and all this kind of things in our country. Think of it until the 1800s. And so all of that time, through all of that old recorded history, women were subjugated to men, always. Because the way of the world was might makes right. Might makes right. Men are stronger, men are fiercer, men are bigger jerks, right? And so they ran the show. It was this patriarchy always. And so this situation arises, what are we supposed to do with these daughters that have this inheritance, but they're not men? They're not boys. Is it safe? Is it okay? Is it right to give an inheritance to girls, right? Well, that's going to put them on equal footing with men. And God gave Moses the answer. He said, absolutely, absolutely, they are to receive the inheritance of their father. He had no sons, and so it's going to go to the daughters. Now, I say all that not to stand up here and put my feminism hat on and all of that stuff, okay? Because everything, again, goes through the lens of God's holy word, all right? Make no mistake about it. God has established and ordained an order to things, right? The Bible talks about it. Even Jesus Christ himself will be made in the end subjugated, subject to the Father so that all things are complete, so that God may be all in all. And he has made this divine order. Husbands are to be the heads of their homes, the heads of their families. God made men to lead, okay? Now, ladies, <laughs> I know that might sting a little bit, but understand this. Understand, please understand this. The scripture teaches us very clearly, there is no difference between men and women in God's eyes. God establishing and ordaining that order has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with the fact that men are better than girls, boys are better than girls, or that men are more spiritual than women, or men are more fit to lead. That has nothing to do with it whatsoever. God has established an order to things, and he expects us to follow that order. Now, we can follow it, we cannot follow it, but I promise you this, to whatever degree you follow the order that God has given us through his word, your life will be more blessed for it. I promise you, I promise you. And to whatever degree you vary from that or stray from that, you're going to get less of a blessing. God created this thing. God put it all into motion. It's his way. And we want to, let me, let, me, let me promise you something else. My wife does not call me the head of our house and does not look to me as being the leader of our home because I'm so well qualified. Or because the words that I say, it's like I'm Moses at the dinner table, right? And, and, and the things that I say are so powerful and so weighty, she's just like, how could I not follow you? How could I not just want to walk in your shadow, my Lord? You know what I mean? It's the opposite so many times, you know, where I know and she knows I'm an idiot, right? And I prove myself to be an idiot. The Bible is very clear, and I love this portion of Scripture when it says, women, the wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto who? It ain't about him. It's about the Lord. It's about Jesus Christ. And so my wife does not submit herself to me because I'm worth it, or because I'm smarter, or because I'm more spiritual, or because I'm more in tune with the Lord, or anything else, it's simply because that's what God's Word says. That's what God's Word says, and she's obedient to Him. It ain't about me, okay? Now, as a, as a, little, as a little side note here, men, 
our being the heads of our, you guys know this. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Maybe somewhere out there in, in, in YouTube land needs to hear this. It is not our job, okay? It is not our job to rule our homes and to rule our wives with an iron fist. It is not our job to walk around pounding our chest like, you know what I mean, like mighty Joe Young, I'm the head of this home, and, and to somehow establish ourselves through bravado or our masculinity as being the heads of our home. What does it say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, washing her in the water of the word. Now, all you have to do is look to your Bibles, husbands, and see the example of Jesus Christ with his disciples. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the heart, ought to be the heart of every Christian husband to serve our wives. How can you serve and yet at the same time be the head? That's what Jesus did. Yes or no, right? That's what, exactly what Jesus did. It's counterintuitive to the thinking of our culture. It doesn't make any sense. Remember, though, that this is what the Scripture says, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek, okay? Don't ever expect the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and according to the Word of God for the world to embrace it. They were never supposed to embrace it. Because it's a stumbling block. And the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world. God, though, was showing here all the way back here during the time of Moses that he cherished and loved women just as much as he did men. You know, when they were, somebody was ready to have a baby because they didn't have ultrasounds or anything, and everyone would come, all the family, all the friends would come, and if she gave birth and had a son, they would have a seven-day celebration this huge feast that they would have. And if they gave birth and it was a girl, they would pack the crap and go home. And you think about that, it's like, gee, that's kind of awful, isn't it? You got to remember, the word of God was given to men within the context of the world that they were living in, okay? God did not give the word to Moses and to the prophets down through the ages and then finally give it to the church so that we could change the world and what the world is politically. If we change the world, it is because we are saving it one soul at a time. Uh, what is it? Billy Sunday, Pop Love. Billy Sunday was this crazy evangelist guy, and he would go to a town, and he would hold these revivals, and everybody would get saved, and all the bars would close. They didn't need prohibition. You understand? They didn't need to go in there with signs and pickets. Alcohol kills and destroys lives. They just got everybody saved, and guess what happened? The bar closed. If everybody in this country got really saved, guess what would happen to the abortion clinics and so many of these other things? God would do his work in a wonderful, beautiful, natural way. It is never the job of the church. It is never the job of the Christian to change the world. The world is passing away. That's one of the reasons that the church is so upset politically right now. We're as upset as everybody else. And we're so worked up and involved with politics and the way our country's going and the way our country's going to hell with the rest of the world, just like the Bible said it was gonna. 
and we stand around flabbergasted by it. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know exactly what's going to come to pass because the scripture has taught us that. Our job is to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to cling to his word, and to love, love, love everybody. It's not to be against everybody. It's to be for everybody because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter how repugnant an individual sin may or may not be to you. Jesus Christ died for it all the same. And so this family was to be provided for. These young women were to be provided for. However, another question arose. When we go into the promised land and when these ladies are given their inheritance, what happens then when they get married? Because in order to still go along with God's established order, they would take their husband's name and they would become a part of his family. And when that happened, the land also would become a part of his family. And if he was from another tribe, let's say he was from the, 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 the tribe of, of Gad. Oh, no, they were on the other side. Uh, give me another tribe. He was from the tribe of Judah. We'll say that's the easy one. He was from the tribe of Judah. When they got married, that land would go into ownership of the tribe of Judah. And so this is the question that they bring to Moses. What I want to focus here on is the questions that they bring to Moses and the way in which they do it. Uh, the chief fathers of the family of Gilead and the half-tribe of Manasseh came to Moses with the issue at hand. They did not consider solving this with their own wisdom, but instead they sought after God. Here it says, Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I love that part where it says, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, we always say that, the peace that passes, will guard your hearts and minds. From what exactly? Will guard my heart and my mind from what exactly? Leaning on my own strength, my own fears, my own anxiousness, my lack of faith, whatever it may be. With all things, it says here in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What that means is put it all on the Lord. At the end of the day, put it on the Lord. Do we live our lives before him? And what part of my life belongs to me and me alone and, not, and does not belong to God? Is there any? Or rather, should there be any? So regardless of the situation, regardless of what's happening in our lives, regardless of what's coming up, to, coming up in our lives or, or circumstances or situations, and maybe we're worried or concerned or maybe we just don't know, the Bible says very clearly that we're to put all of these things before the throne of God. 
to give all of these things to him and allow his peace that surpasses understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. Because the enemy uses these things to get a foothold in your life and to push you away from the Lord. Fear, worrying about the things that are coming to pass or things that are going on in your life, sickness, pain, whatever the case may be. I promise you, God, uh, Satan wants to use that to drive a wedge between you and God. And so scripture teaches us to bring it to the Lord. I love that that's exactly what these men did. The heads of this family, they didn't sit around amongst themselves and come up with some sort of a resolution. They brought it directly to Moses. And they came to Moses with God's word. They came to Moses with God's word, not their feelings. The other half of the half-tribe of Manasseh, when they were on the east side of the Jordan River, they came to Moses with their feelings. We know God has said, we know God has promised, but we feel, but we feel, when you start talking to someone about their relationship with God and about having a relationship with God, and they say, well, I think, well, I believe, well, I feel, the red light should start going, eh, eh, eh. Because almost without exception, some sort of error is going to follow, going to come along with it next. I feel, I believe, I think, that's what I like. Well, I think God has to take into account. I think that God needs to understand. God's word is his word. And they came to Moses with his word. They said in verse 2, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses, to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I love that. You all know that situation when Jesus was, was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he was, after 40 days, he was starving to death. Literally, at that point, your body begins to die. And that's when Satan came, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like four hours, and I'm like, I need some chicken wings. You know what I mean? 40 days, Jesus is fasting. His body is beginning to actually die. And Satan comes to him at, right at that moment, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need your bread. You need to take care of yourself, right? You need those things. But your life, what matters, who you are, what you're going to become, what God is going to do with you, all should be the sustenance for all of that, the nutrition for all of that should be God's word. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want every part of my life to line up with God's word. My marriage, the way that I run my home, the way that we raise our children, the kind of employee that I am, hopefully, definitely the kind of pastor I am, the kind of friend that I am, the kind of whatever I am. I want it to line up with God's word. Man will not live by bread alone. And I love that they bring God's word back to Moses. And then they make their supplications known. Now, if they're married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, so it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, remember, every 50 years... 
any land that had been sold, any land that had been rented, any land that had been lost because of debts was returned to the original owners so that the, 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 the inheritance of the land that was given and allotted to the tribes by portion from the Lord would never pass away. It would always come back to them. That's what the year of Jubilee was all about. And when the Jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Verse 5, Then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, <clears throat> but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his father. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. And so what Moses is doing here by the word of the Lord, and I love this because it's such a beautiful compromise here. God is concerned with your feelings. He is. God is, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. All of them. How many is all? All. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? For he cares for you. He cares for you. He thinks of you. He knows how you feel. He understands and he knows the pain in your life, the confusion in your life, disorientation in your life. Things that you're, that you're, that you're uh, completely in the dark on in your life. And that's a maddening feeling. He understands these things. And he cares about these things. But I love it that here he takes care of the needs, not only of the daughters of Zelophehad, but he makes this decree that any situation throughout the land of the, of the nation of Israel, any search situation in any tribe and within any family where a husband and a wife have no sons, only daughters, the same thing applies. The land is going to go to them. But he doesn't, by doing that, make the word of God or the, or the covenant or the order of, the God, of God's, God's order of how the family is to be null and void because of it. And so he says, she can marry whoever she wants <laughs> so long as within the tribe. Marry within your tribe. And I love that. And I love the obedience of the daughters of Zelophehad where they say, it says, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of of Zelophehad, you know? I don't know if any of them at the time had a crush on somebody from a different tribe or had their eyes on another guy or something like that, but they hear the word of God laid out and they're obedient to it. I love that. This family wanted all of the promises of God. I love that, that they wanted the promises of God. Not only did they show that when they, when they said that we're crossing over the Jordan, we're going into the promised land. We're not sticking back here with the rest of the half of the half tribe. We want to go into the land. But not, and not only that, we want the promise. We want the inheritance for all of our family, for all of our people, for everyone who's with us. We want the promises of God. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 says, He did not waver, speaking of Abraham, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, 
giving glory to God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Uh, I love it that God did not take into consideration or even acknowledge that the rest of the tribe who had rejected God's plan somehow would affect these people, but he still held on to that promise for whoever was willing to take hold of it. For whoever, well, the rest of your tribe didn't come across, so, you know, there's nothing like that. If there was one family from the tribe of Manasseh that would have been willing to come across the Jordan River, God's promise was going to stand there for him. He doesn't move. I love that about our God. He is faithful, the scripture says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. And Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You know, there's this whole idea of generational curses and, 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 and these things that have, that have gone through the church from time to time. And there's that portion of Scripture where God says he is loving and merciful, showing grace to thousands who love him, uh, and visiting the, 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 the sins of the father on the sons to the third generation of those who hate him. Understand this. God was talking... Okay, God was talking about generations of people who were given to hating God. God was not in any way talking about a circumstance where your father or your mother was not a believer or hated God or had no faith whatsoever. That has absolutely no bearing on your life whatsoever. This idea of generational curses and all that stuff is nonsense. It's poppycock. Okay? Now, listen, if your father and your mother were both alcoholics, you might want to be careful. <laughs> okay? It's in your DNA. All right? If, if, if heart issues run in your family, you might want to go to the doctor. That ain't a generational curse. You understand? That's life. That's just life. And none of us are immune from that. But the promises to God for you are for you. And there is no one else and there is nothing else that has anything to do with your relationship between you and God but you. I love that this family, they didn't just believe in God's promises, but they were jealous for them. They guarded them. They were not careless with God's promises, but took personal responsibility to do their part in seeing them through. Romans chapter 2, verse 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the two sons, and the father said, who will go out and do the work in the field? And the one said, son said, I'm not going. That's, I'm not doing any of that nonsense, right? And the other son said, I will go, father. He goes, but then as the time went on in the day, the son who said he was, he was going to go, I'll go do it, he never went. And the son who said, I'm not going to do any of that, had a change of heart, and he went out and did the work that the father had asked him to do. He said, Jesus said, who's righteous? Well, it's the, it's the son who did it. It doesn't matter what his heart was like. It doesn't matter what a bad attitude he had. Isn't that good news? It doesn't matter that he was like, blah, 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 you know, it doesn't matter, right? Because how many times you're reading God's word and God speaks to your heart, and you're like, no, I don't want you know, to do any of that. I want to do what I want to do. You know what I mean? This is Frankie time. You know what I mean? And then God's spirit just gently is just 
touching your heart and touching your spirit, and you're going, yeah, you know. And, and then, oh, I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Know this. Know this. God's smiling. God's not like, it's about time, you little jerk. No, no. God is smiling. He knows our frame. The Bible says he knows that we're dust. You know how he knows? He built you. He knows where we come from. All the elements that are found inside of your body is found in the dirt. Jesus Christ knows every aspect of who you are, and the Father knows exactly every aspect of who you are. Okay? All of that aside, be hearers, not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. These people took personal responsibility into going after the promises of God. James 1.22 says the same thing. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And what James is trying to say there is, we can sit here all day and we can listen to message after message after message after message, and we can listen to messages on the radio, and if we never do it and put any of it into practice, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Uh, he continues, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, and when he goes away, he forgets what he looks like. And they did it the right way, not trusting in themselves, not doing it according to their own devices, but putting it back into God's hands. Psalm 146, 3 to 5 says, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of, you know, princes. Don't put your trust in princes. You know what you could put there? Politicians. Don't put your trust in politicians. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to bring this. We're going to bring that. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, don't put your trust in politicians, nor in a son of man. <laughs> that means anybody. In whom there is no help, his spirit departs and he returns to the earth. In other words, he's dust just like you. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy, the other word for that is blessed, is he who has the God of Jacob for his help and whose hope is in the Lord of his God, uh, is in the Lord his God. That's the guy I want to be, right? I want to be the guy who at the end of the day, no matter what I see on the horizon or what I see happening in our, in our country, at work, wherever, whatever the situation may be, I want to be the guy, my hope and my trust and my peace and my joy is firmly established on the promises that I have through Jehovah and through Jesus Christ who sealed it, sealed all that for you and I with his own blood. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, for your word, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to take this example of this family, Father, to heart uh, and to approach the situations and circumstances in our lives, Father, the very same way. Lord, to bring it basically, to bring it to your throne, to bring it before you, Father, and to cast all of the fears and apprehensions and confusion and whatever it may be that goes along with it, Father, uh, at your feet as well, Lord, and allow you to guard our thoughts, to guard our hearts, Lord, and to allow us to remain in that peace that passes understanding, Father, that it's all in your hands, Father, every single bit of it. And whether we rise or whether we fall, Father, we live and we breathe before you. Have your way in us, Lord. Make us exactly who you want us to be, each of us individually, and use us, we pray, Lord, in this world, Lord, to shine the light of the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.